can do all these through Christ who gives me strength but sometimes I wonder what he can do great success to show, no glory of my own, yet in my weakness he is there to let me know. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that at the end of our own efforts and and our own wisdom and our own strength, there you are. We find you there, ready to, to carry us when we can't go on, ready to be our enough in our time of need, ready to accomplish Victory despite our own failures and our own failings. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness that we sang about. Thank you for your providence and your care for us. We pray now that you'll visit with us, Father, as we open your word to study it. Give us open ears and and open hearts for the message you have prepared for us. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. Stephen Douglas was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1846. In 1858, after two six-year terms, he was seeking re-election for a third term. Well, during his time in the Senate, the issue of slavery was raised several times, particularly with a respect to the Compromise of 1850. And and as chairman of the Committee on Territories, Douglas argued for an approach to slavery that was termed popular sovereignty. Well, what that meant was that electorates at a local level would vote whether to adopt or reject a state constitution which prohibited slavery. Douglas, a Democrat, was running against a successful Illinois attorney named Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was adamantly opposed to slavery, and he felt it should be abolished at a federal level. He was representing the brand-new upstart Republican Party. Well, the Lincoln-Douglas debates, also known as the Great Debates of 1858, were an important part of, of our U.S. history. There were a series of seven debates that took place between Lincoln and Douglas. They were held in seven towns across the state of Illinois, and they took place over two months throughout the state. They drew huge crowd. This was before radio. So people came out to, uh, to hear what these two men had to say and what they believed. And, and they came from, from everywhere, not just within the state. Neighboring states came out to hear because the issue of slavery was of monumental importance to citizens everywhere. Newspaper coverage of the debates was intense. Major papers from Chicago sent stenographers to the debates to create complete texts of each debate, which newspapers across the United States uh, reprinted in full with some partisan edits. Newspapers that supported Douglas would edit his speeches to remove any errors made by the stenographers to correct grammatical errors, while they left Lincoln's speeches in the rough form in which they had been transcribed. And in the same way, pro-Lincoln papers edited Lincoln's speeches but left Douglas's texts as reported. Well, in the debates, Lincoln was masterful. He argued eloquently for equality, 
for the intent of the Constitution, for, for God-given freedom for all men. He was intelligent. He was articulate. He was convincing. He was even entertaining. He used colorful language, like when he said that Douglas's solution was a do-nothing sovereignty that was as thin as the homeopathic soup that was made by boiling the shadow of a pigeon that had starved to death. <laughs> he was brilliant. He was brilliant. He raised his national profile with these debates, and he was expected to win the election and claim the Senate for the Republicans. That seat would swing the Senate. Well, though he was expected to win, it, it all changed with a figurative slap in the face. The October surprise of the election was the endorsement of the Democrat Douglas by former Whig John J. Crittenden. The, the non-Republican former Whigs made up the biggest block of swing voters. So you had to win them. And Lincoln himself was a former Whig, and he was a friend of Crittenden's. Well, this friend's endorsement of Douglas rather than Lincoln swung the election in favor of Douglas and slammed the door on Lincoln's Senate hopes. He even won the popular vote, Lincoln did, but the Illinois legislature, using an obscure statute that was encouraged by Crittenden, sent Douglas to the U.S. Senate instead of Lincoln. It was over. And when a sympathetic friend asked Lincoln how he felt, he said, well, like the boy who stubbed his toe, I'm too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. And where do you go from there? You did everything you knew how to do and, and you still failed. Your cause was just. You worked your hardest, but your own friends and allies turned against you. They turned their backs on you. They wouldn't even vote for you. They chose your opponent over you. Well, many thought Lincoln was through. He was finished in politics. Back to the courtroom he should go as an attorney. Give up. Quit. He didn't. Lincoln got up, dusted himself off, and, and in a brilliant move, he compiled the debate transcripts as they were into a book which he had published. And they sold all over the country where everyone, the entire nation, got to read Lincoln's moving arguments against slavery. Well, the exposure made him a viable candidate for nomination as the Republican candidate in the upcoming 1860 presidential election. He would go on to secure both the nomination and eventually the presidency, beating Douglas as the Northern Democratic candidate in the process. Well, the rest is history. And his legacy would impact history like no other president before him did or after him ever will. All because he chose to get up when handed defeat. It happens to us every day, doesn't it? Rejections, betrayals, lies, accusations, defeats, failures, losses, discouragements. It's easy to give up. It's easy to stay down, but the choice we make in these circumstances will define our futures and our very legacies. Getting up, resiliency, choosing to keep going, that's the key to success, isn't it? In heaven, we can ask the Apostle Paul all about that. He had 
one of the greatest examples of being knocked down but not out. So turn with me to our text this morning or look up at the video screens, Acts chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Paul had many of these examples throughout his life and throughout his ministry. This was one of the most dramatic ones. Acts 14, chapter 14 and verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. Well, there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 8. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. Well, at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and, and the crowd wanted to sacrifice, offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and, and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, no, 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 why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. And then it all turns. Verse 19, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Let's stop here for a moment. Well, to say that Paul and Barnabas had their noisy enemies would be putting it mildly. These detractors not only rejected Paul and Barnabas, but they followed them into, into other cities to hurl accusations, to bash their ministry, to defile their work with others. It wasn't enough for these people to cordially disagree with Paul and Barnabas and reject the gospel they were preaching. They wanted to make sure everyone else rejected it too. Well, this group of Jews and Gentiles, once enemies who found a common bond in a common enemy, succeeded. They succeeded in turning the masses against Paul. 
One minute they were, they were worshiping Paul and Barnabas, the next minute they wanted them dead. That's how convincing these enemies were. And now it wasn't enough for the crowd to reject the gospel that Paul was preaching. It wasn't enough to kick him out of the city. They wanted him dead. So they stoned Paul to death. In their mind, the apostle of, of Christ was dead, and, and they dragged his lifeless body outside the city gates. Well, there's, there's not a greater example of rejection than rejection to death. The only problem was that Paul wasn't exactly dead. Paul served a God who, who sustained and protected his life because Paul's work wasn't finished yet. And the disciples gathered around Paul's limp body, and he miraculously got up. Now, I'm sure he was disappointed, and I'm sure he was hurt, and I'm sure he was shaking and scared from what just took place, but, but what do you think the first thing Paul did after dusting himself off from the beating of a lifetime was? Well, what would we recommend for him to do? Leave the city and never come back? Yeah, probably. Pray for God to rain down fire on the entire godless lot of them? That's a good one. <laughs> Carefully plan and execute revenge on the leaders of the plot to destroy him and his ministry. I like that one. All of them would have been believable. All of them you could justify. They were all justifiable actions in light of what Paul went through, but that's not the move Paul makes. Let's keep reading verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. You've got to be kidding me. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Wow. Now, of all the possible answers, going back to those who just stoned you wasn't in the multiple choice list. Paul, listen, in, in light of what these people did to you and your ministry, they're evil. They're wicked. They, they deserve punishment. At minimum, they deserve for you to turn their ba your back on them and, and never go back. Leave them, leave their fate to hell. Choose to turn your back on them, Paul. Choose, choose to walk away. Choose to pray for their demise. Choose to give up, Paul, or, or, or better yet, choose revenge. Paul's answer leaves us speechless. I will not choose to quit. I will not choose to sulk. I will not choose to give up. I will not choose to turn away. I choose Christ. He went back to where Christ had called him. Despite the persecution, despite the hardship, despite the naysayers, despite the enemies, despite the criticism and all the rejection and the discouragement, he chose Christ over all of it. I want us to look at 
Paul's actions today in the midst of disappointments and rejection and failure, and I want us to focus on three key things. Why we choose Christ, how we choose Christ, and what happens when we choose Christ. Our first point today, why we choose Christ. Do you know what you stand for? Well, that's an important question. It's one of the most important questions to answer in this life. What you stand for isn't defined by the words you say, but by the choices you make, the actions you take. When you choose Christ, you, you make your stand for Him. When you choose Christ, you shout to the world that you believe in Christ and in His power. So, so if your choices define what you stand for, the big question is, when you don't choose Christ, what do you stand for? Well, if Paul had chosen to run away, he would have stood for fear. If Paul had chosen to quit, what would he have stood for? Lack of endurance. If Paul had chosen revenge, what would he have stood for? His own agenda of hatred and bitterness. But Paul chose to go back. And in going back, he proclaimed in a voice louder than any words could say, I choose Christ. I believe in Christ. I believe in him and his salvation so much that I refuse to be silenced. I refuse to be stopped. I refuse to be killed. I choose Christ because I believe in him and I trust him with my life. That's what Paul was saying. He will take care of me. Look what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Look, I've trusted God with, with every part of my life and he's not going to let me down. I believe in him and I believe him. Paul believed what he was preaching to the very core of his being. That's genuine faith. Why do you believe in Christ? Oh, because my church told me to. Well, because my parents believe it. I don't know, my, my wife believes it. My husband believes it. So I go along. That's not faith, friend. That's just following along. That's letting someone else choose for you. Stand up for what you believe in. Someone once made this very insightful statement. Submit to pressure from peers and you move down to their level. Speak up for your own beliefs and you invite them up to your level. If you move with the crowd, you'll get no further than the crowd. When 40 million people believe in a dumb idea, it's still a dumb idea. <laughs> Simply swimming with the tide leaves you nowhere. So if you believe in God and his principles, stand up for him. Maybe your peers will get smart and drift your way. That choice has to be yours. And it has to be for the right reasons. If faith isn't genuine, you've already lost. The first storm that hits and requires you to cling to your faith will wipe you out because your faith is paper thin. It isn't real. Your faith is based on someone else's beliefs. It's based on following someone else, just tagging along. Christ has to be real to you, intimately and individually. There's no corporate salvation. 
Christ didn't die to save a church or a denomination or a community or a country. He died to save you and me individually. And when you have a genuine personal relationship with him, it shows up in your choices. And when Christ is in your choices, what you stand for becomes very evident to a watching world. Why choose Christ? Well, because he's earned our trust. He has proven himself time and time again because he's the only way that works. He's the only truth in a world of lies. He's the only stability in the shifting sand around us. We choose Christ because we can't deny the evidence we have seen in our own lives and in the lives around us of his hand of mercy and grace. We choose Christ because he's the only one who loved us enough to die for our sins, to redeem us to the Father and to guarantee us an eternity with him. He took our place and our pain and our punishment so that we could be free from the bondage and slavery of sin. That's reason enough. That's reason enough to choose Christ. We owe him our eternal lives. It's said that Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once had captured a prince and his family. And when they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, what will you give me if I release you? The half of my wealth, was his reply. And if I release your children, everything I possess. And if I release your wife, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he freed them all. And as they returned home, the prince said to his wife, wasn't Cyrus a, a handsome man? With a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. That's how we should feel. We can't take our eyes off the one who gave his very life for us. So when we're knocked down like Paul was, yeah, it's easy to stay down. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to sulk. It's easy to quit. But we can't do that. We get up and we keep going and we choose Christ and his will for us because he's earned our trust. Because we love the one who first loved us and gave everything for us. Because he's proven himself to us time and time again. Because our actions speak louder than words to a watching world. Because we believe in him and we believe him with all of our hearts. That's why we get up and that's why we press on and that's why we choose Christ. Amen? Our second point, how we choose Christ. Well, in the face of rejection and persecution, if you think about it, Paul could have easily changed his message to not offend his enemies. He could have toned down his message in an effort to assuage the critics. We see it all the time, don't we? We, we see politicians who compromise on their hardline beliefs in an effort to sway more voters. Legislators compromise on bills and, and measures in an effort to make their work more popular. Preachers compromise the word of God in an effort to make it more appealing to the masses. Turn on your television any given Sunday, you'll, you'll hear them. You'll hear plenty of them. They won't talk about things like sin and hell 
They won't talk about God's standards for living. They won't talk about salvation. They'll talk plenty about the gospel of blessing and prosperity. How God loves you as you are. You don't need to change. You just have to love yourself. Believe in yourself. And when you stand before God one day, do you think that will have mattered? I didn't give you my heart, Lord. I I didn't live for you. I didn't choose you, but I believed in myself, Lord. I loved myself. Doesn't that count for something? Not Paul. Paul Paul wouldn't have watered down the gospel message if you held a gun up to his head. He could have. He certainly could have made friends with his detractors by toning down the message, softening his stand. But that would have meant turning his back on the God who saved and sustained him. He didn't waver. He didn't alter. He didn't change his message in any way. He chose Christ. How? By continuing in the right. That's the lesson for us. How many times have you been discouraged when you were doing the right thing? And we're tempted to change our actions, aren't we? You know, I waited on God patiently for an answer. But an answer hasn't come. Keep waiting. I tried witnessing to my family and and neighbors, but I got nothing but rejection. Keep witnessing. I took stands Hey, look, I lived for God at school, but but I got nothing but criticism. Keep living for Him. How do we choose Christ in in the face of rejection and discouragement and persecution? We continue doing what's right. We continue in His will. We don't alter. We don't dilute it. We don't change our course. It's not easy. It's not, but it's right. Paul reminds us this in Galatians 6, 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He states it again, 2 Thessalonians 3, 13. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Perseverance. That's a big word. That's a tough word. We know what's right. We know what God's standard is because He's given us His Word to reveal it to us. And we continue living up to God's standard till He calls us home. We don't lower the standard to make our lives easier. We don't lower the standard to make Christianity more appealing to the world. We don't lower the standard to make ourselves more relatable to those around us. We don't lower the standard to be more tolerant and accepting of sin. No, we persevere and we carry the standard. James 1.12 says, Blessed, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. How about you, friend? Are you carrying the standard in your life, in your choices, in your actions? Are you persevering in doing right, in living right, in choosing right? Keep doing the right thing even when you're knocked down, even when you're discouraged, even when you see no results. Keep going. One day, George Mueller 
began praying for five of his friends. Praying for their salvation. And after many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Mueller persevered and persisted in prayer until his death for that fifth friend. And throughout those 52 years, he never gave up hoping that he would accept Christ. And his faith was rewarded. At Mueller's funeral, the last one got saved. 52 years. 52 years persevering. 52 years praying until his prayers were answered. He never wavered. He never gave up. He persevered in doing right, in striving to live to God's standard. That's how we choose Christ. It's exactly what Paul did. He went back. He continued doing what God had called him to do, and he continued in the place God had called him. That's very important. He didn't say, you know, I tried my ministry there. Forget it. It didn't work. I'm going here now. No, he went back to where God had called him, and he went back preaching the same message God had called him to preach. He didn't alter the message, and he didn't alter the location. He continued the good work he was doing. Why we choose Christ? Because he's worthy of our trust. How we choose Christ? By continuing, by persevering in doing right and striving after God's standard. Amen? Our third point. What happens when we choose Christ? You know, you, you have to believe that when Paul returned to the city in which he was persecuted, whether it was Iconium or Lystra or Derby, where he was stoned and dragged out of the city, those same enemies hadn't fled. They were still there. They were still lurking in the shadows. But why didn't they try to stone him again? Why didn't they attempt further uprisings against Paul? Well, there's something to be said for someone who stands so firmly upon their beliefs with unwavering, unshakable conviction. That kind of conviction silences the critics, doesn't it? They see there's no, there's no, there's no weakness in your armor. Your unwavering faith that refuses to give up will silence the devil and his schemes. Satan will try. He will try to discourage you. He will do his best to throw disappointment your way and fear your way. And he'll make his best effort to bring you down and crush your hopes. But you want to know the secret, the best way to silence him? Don't give in. Keep believing, keep standing, and keep going for Christ. We may not always see the harvest of our efforts. We may not immediately reap the reward of our investment, but we do the right thing anyway. And you know what? God is faithful. The harvest will come. There were once two young men working their way through Leland Stanford University, and their funds got desperately low. And the idea came to one of them for a fundraiser to engage Paderewski, the great pianist for, for a piano recital, and devote the profits to their board and tuition. So they contacted the pianist manager, and, 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 and the manager asked for a guarantee of $2,000. It was a lot. But the students, undaunted, agreed and proceeded to stage the concert. They worked so hard 
They advertised. They rented the hall. They prepared everything. They told everyone they knew and everyone they didn't know. And the concert was held, and they found at the end that they had raised only $1,600. Well, after the performance, the students sought the great artist and told him of their efforts and the results. And they gave him the entire $1,600, and, and they accompanied it with a promissory note for $400, explaining that they would earn the amount at the earliest possible moment and send the money to him. No. No, replied Paderewski, that, that won't do. Then tearing the note to shreds, he returned the money and said to them, Now, take out of this $1,600 all of your expenses, all of your tuition, all of your room and board, and keep for each of you 10% of the balance for your work, and then let me have the rest. Gracious. Well, the years rolled by, years of fortune and destiny. Paderewski had become the premier of Poland. And the devastating war came, and Paderewski was striving with might and main to feed the starving thousands of his beloved Poland. And there was only one man in the world who could help Paderewski and his people. And it was a miracle. Thousands of tons of food began to come into Poland for distribution by the Polish premier. And after the starving people were fed, Paderewski journeyed to Paris to thank Herbert Hoover for the relief sent him. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Paderewski, was Mr. Hoover's reply. Besides, you don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student at college and I was in a hole. The harvest will come. So many things happen when we do the right thing, when we choose Christ. Look, look at the success of Paul's work. God's blessings were upon him and his work because of his choices. The early church was established and flourished because of his persistence. We're here today. We have the pattern for church because of the work Paul did. Early believers were inspired by his relentless faith. They wanted to pattern their faith after him. What an inspiration. And, and do you know what happened to Paul every time he got up and kept going? he would see God's hand of providence and his faith would be made even stronger. His choice encouraged him. When he made the choice and he saw God's providence, it encouraged him again to keep going. When you choose Christ and you get up and you keep going for him, every time you're knocked down, the same benefits are yours, dear friend. God's blessings will be upon you. Those around you watching your life will be inspired by your perseverance. Your faith will be built up even stronger and the devil and his schemes will be silenced. Now, weigh all of these benefits, all of these pros with the one con. It's hard. And you'll see the choice shouldn't really be much of a choice. Choose Christ and the rewards will be immeasurable. Why do we choose Christ? Because he's worthy of our trust and our efforts. How do we choose Christ? By continuing to do what's right in the eyes of God. And what happens when we choose Christ? There will be blessings in our lives, either immediate or delayed. Those around us will be inspired for Christ. Our faith will grow and the devil will be silenced. Wow, how thankful we are for the example of Paul. I love Paul. He was persecuted to the point of death. He was criticized, sabotaged, 
cursed, mocked, hated, stoned. He was knocked down to the fullest extent of the word, but not out. He got up and he went back to the work he was doing. He continued, he persevered in doing God's will. How about you today? How about you, friend? You find yourself knocked down by life. You feel crushed by the weight of disappointment, failure, betrayal, hurt. Don't give in to fear. Resolve to get up and keep going. Don't give in to failure. Turn your eyes to Christ, the great overcomer, who can give you the strength to overcome. His strength is perfect. We heard that. Don't give in to betrayal and hurt and hate. Forgive us, Christ has forgiven you, and get up. Your strength might be gone, but his is endless. Throw yourself upon his mercy. Claim his strength, and you know what? He will carry you through. Perseverance. Persist. Press on. Keep going. The following, and I'm going to close with this, is taken directly from the diary of John Wesley. John Wesley is one of the greatest preachers in history. This is straight out of his diary. Sunday a.m., May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. That night, Sunday p.m., May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacons said, get out and stay out. Next week, Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on street, kicked off of street. <laughs> Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. That night, Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, that afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Hundreds gave their life to Christ. Don't give up, friend. You may be knocked down. We all get there but you're not out. Your story isn't over. Get up. Go back and keep going for Christ. That's the recipe for success in the Christian life, isn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, this, this life brings so many heartaches and, and discouragements our way. And we're battered and we're tired, and we're scarred. But we vow not to quit, Lord. Give us faith like Paul's to get up, to go back, and to keep going for you. Regardless of the difficulties, regardless of our fears, regardless of, of our emotions, and our hurts, and our pain, and our past, we want to keep going for you. We want to choose you and persevere in doing right. 
Give us your strength on this journey, Father, and, and keep our eyes fixed on you as we travel on until that day. Until that day you call us home and we hear those precious words, well done, my good and faithful servant. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.